0: Good evening, everybody. Good to see you. Um, I hope you got to meet my daughter, Willa. She's a first year here at the University of Vermont. We are very proud of her. She's got some homework to do. Maybe about... Corduroy goes to the fire station. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> All right, take a bow. <laughs> <Yeah>. She's cute. <laughs> She's a cutie. Um... I can't, I can't preach with you here. You're too distracting. <laughs> oh, man. Y'all, I'm totally in trouble. <laughs> She's got my heart. Um, good evening. I'm glad that you're here. Uh, welcome to our Wednesday night fellowship. As, uh, as Kelsey mentioned, we really want you to be able to connect with God and others and sort of connect the dots in college. And this is a great time to do all of those things. Uh, I want to start tonight's talk, sermon, uh, with a question. Question's question is this, what's the most important thing in a relationship? What is the advice that people often tell you, you know, this is the most important thing in a relationship, or what do you tell people is the most important thing in a relationship? Come on, hit me with it. Yeah, right? Communication, communication, communication. I believe that's true. Communication is super important. In order for there to be a good relationship, we need to communicate. And we need to communicate well. What's true of our human relationships, check this, is also true uh, of our relationship with God as well. It makes sense. God's personal and we're personal. He's relational. We're relational beings too. So in order for us to have a good personal relationship with God, and by that I mean intimate, meaningful, meaningful. It's real. There needs to be good communication. There needs to be conversation. He needs to talk, and we need to talk back. Uh, he needs to listen, and we do too, right? This is a two-way street. We all see a couple at a restaurant, and they're not talking to each other, but they're on their cell phones, maybe texting other people, scrolling through Instagram. <clears throat> It's usually a sign that the relationship is not well. Right? It's much better if they were fully present uh, to one another. And I don't mean physically present, per se. Right? You can do long-distance relationship and have good communication. And conversely, you can be phys- physically close, sitting across the table from one another, and have terrible right, communication. At stake is, are you emotionally engaged? Uh, Are you willing to be searched? Are you willing to be known? I'm reminded of a psalm we looked at a couple weeks ago, Psalm 139. David says to God, our Father, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me uh, and know my thoughts. It's a bedrock of all sort of good communication. Presence, not pretense, is key. Being fully present, or if you like fully presenting yourself, requires first of all, some self-awareness? Do you know who you are? Do you know what's going on inside of your your heart and your mind? And then secondly, are you willing to share that with other people? Uh, Are you willing to be open uh, and honest? This really is uh, what we're talking about. We're talking about good communication. Uh, It's the focus in a lot of ways of our semester together. In Bible study, we're looking at the Psalms, sort of 150 prayers collected in the Bible, All of them written by different people in different life situations, experiencing different things, feeling different feels. And together they give us the sense of this is what it means to walk with God and talk with God over the course of one's life. And here on Wednesday nights, we're looking at the Lord's Prayer. When Jesus' disciples tell him, ask him, teach us to pray, what he gives them, what he gives us is a pattern for prayer in three parts. look up, we look out, we look in. This is some review, but just... It's helpful. A Christian prayer starts with presence. Uh, It starts with God's presence and our own. Connection comes before content. We're not shouting out into space when we pray. We're showing up to the table. And we're presenting ourselves to God, and he's presenting himself to us as our father. When we show up, the first thing that we ask is, help me to see you as you truly are. Like, help me to know you as you really are. Hallowed be your name. And before we take another step forward in prayer, we want to simply sit there and allow God to impress upon our hearts his goodness, his greatness, and his love. That brings us now to today. We spent a few weeks looking up. We're now going to start looking out. After looking up, it's time to look out. And we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This petition, your kingdom come, your will be done, it raises a couple of questions. What is God's kingdom and what does it mean for his come kingdom to come here to earth? And then two, what does praying this petition ask or require of me? So what is God's kingdom? What does it mean for it to come to earth? And then two, what does this require of me? And to help answer these questions, I'd like to read from Matthew's gospel, Um, Matthews, a guy who wrote about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And we're going to read from his book uh, in the New Testament, chapter 6, 24 to 34. Uh, I don't have handouts anymore, and I don't think I'm going to print them out anymore. It's going to save a lot of paper, save a lot of ink. Do me a favor. You can get a free, like, on your cell phone are these things called apps. And one of them is, like, there's a Bible app, and you can get it for free. And so, um, yeah, other, yeah it's, it's summer conference. Uh, there's a funny guy named Matt Howley. would say, tap that app. Uh, so do it. <laughs> Get the Bible app. You can also, we have free Bibles here on the table. We're also going to project it up here on the screen, okay, to follow along. This is what uh, God wants us to say to us tonight. 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore don't be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, um, we're glad to be gathered in your presence. Uh, to to be in your company. Uh, Lord, I pray that in this time you would uh, reveal yourself to us. You would show us your goodness and in your, in your grace. Um, also, too, I pray, Lord, as we look out and we see a world that is beautiful and broken, you would teach us what it means to pray for your kingdom to come and for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Uh, amen. Well, if... You will look at the sort of even the beginning of this passage tonight. Uh, What you will see is Jesus telling his disciples, telling us, you can't serve two masters, you can't have two bosses, there aren't two kings. Either you will love the one or you will hate the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. But you can't do both. In this life, you have got to serve somebody. You've got to serve something. It's not a matter if you're going to be ambitious or not. It's not a matter if you're going to worship or serve something. You will. The question is, who or what? Who are you going to worship? What are you going to worship? Who or what are you going to serve? What are you going to make your ambition? Right Your chief end, your reason for being. In verse 24, Jesus hints that your options are very limited and pretty straightforward. Either you're going to seek to advance your own kingdom or you're going to seek to advance the kingdom of God. You can't do both. It's one or the other. Many of us live our lives as if we're in a movie. Since we're in every scene of this movie, so it seems, right? We conclude that we're the star of a show, right? Life is a movie, and it's all about me. And what that makes all of you is props or extras, right, in this movie about me. And either you are helping me, or you are hurting me, or you are getting in my way. It's easy for me to think this way. It's easy for you to think this way. In fact, I would say this is probably our default mode of being, of doing in the world. However, there is another way of being and doing, there is an alternative vision or way of life. You could call them two scripts, right? Two ways of being in the world. Script number one, the one I just alluded to, reads like this Life's a movie, you're the star of the show. And the overarching plot and theme of this movie that is your life is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Pretty clever. I didn't come up with that. (laughs) right? But you do you. Don't get in my way and scrounge up as much wealth, comfort, security, and influence as possible and then hold on tight before you die. Life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. Since it's a movie focused on you, everyone, God included, is in the background, supporting you, helping you, or getting in your way. And at the top of this script that we could call, right, Life, would be a rough draft title Seek First the Kingdom of Me. Script number one. Script number two reads like this Yes, life is a movie. And yes, you have a part to play, but no, you're not the star of the show. God is. Because God is the one who created the world, and when we broke it, he's the one who stepped inside his creation to fix it. In fact, he sacrificed his very life in order to do so. And that makes Jesus the hero of this movie. That makes Jesus the hero of this play. And since he's the star and we're supporting actors or actresses at best, the best thing that we can do with our lives is to discover who we are, children of God by grace, by faith, and where we fit in this overarching drama, how we can best serve, how we can be a part of Jesus' redemptive mission. See, according to Jesus, these really are your two options. These really are The two scripts that you can play. Either you're going to seek first your kingdom, the kingdom of me, or you're going to seek first God's kingdom. We could say the kingdom of He, right? But there is no, I just realized this is now going to rhyme. There is no plan C, there is no number three. (laughs) That's the end of our Dr. Seuss. All right? So let me ask you this Who's the boss? Who's the boss? When you wake up and you step into a new day, who's working for who? Is God working for you, or do you see yourself in some ways as serving him? What's the direction there? Well, let me ask you this. Why are you going to college? What's the point of your being here? Is it to get a college degree so you can get a job, so you can buy a house, and buy a car, and buy a country club membership, and then when all's said and done, get a coffin? Is that really the story that you're living out of? Is that how this all fits in? Or are you part of a much bigger and better story, something more comprehensive, something more epic? Do you see life through a different lens? Jesus wants us to stop to slow down, to sober up, to cease our anxious toil, to quit hoarding and hedging and trying to find our hope and security in our puny little kingdoms of me. This, Jesus says, is how Gentiles live, people who don't know God, those who don't know that they have a good and loving Father in heaven, watching over them. That's how they live. It should be different for you. It should be different for you. Because you know now that you have a good and loving Father. And that changes things. It changes the way that we see Him. It changes the way we see ourselves. It changes the way that we see others. changes the way that we see our motivations. In fact, our entire outlook on life so don't seek first your kingdom. Verse 33 seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And this exchange comes with a promise. If and when you do this, all those things will be added to you. All those things that you would normally consume and would find, yeah, they consume me. You'll be rightly related. It will be added to you as well. Your God is a good Father. He knows that you need these things. He's going to, want to provide for you. So don't seek first the kingdom of me. Seek first the kingdom of he, the kingdom of God. And I say, okay, it's clear. I get it. <laughs> I see it in the text. But what exactly is the kingdom of God? And what does Jesus mean when he says that we ought to seek it first and seek his righteousness? That we should pray, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does that mean? Well, simply put, that the kingdom of God is everything the way it is supposed to be. It's the way things are in heaven right now. The kingdom of God is everything and everyone in their right place doing what God designed it and them to do. From a human standpoint, it means us knowing and showing God. We were made in the image of God for the sake of imaging God. Which is to say we were made to make visible an invisible God. To reflect his heart and his character, his beauty, his goodness right to the world around. And when we are doing this, when we know him and show him, when we are seeking first his kingdom... What we all experience is God's righteousness, just to say his all-rightness. The word that gets translated righteousness in verse 33 could just as well be translated justice because it's the same word. God's righteousness is his justice. In Hebrew, it's his shalom. That word shalom often gets translated peace, but it's much more than that and far bigger and better than that. As one theologian writes, Shalom is the webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight. It's a rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts fruitfully employed, all under the arch of God's love. Shalom, in other words, is the way things are supposed to be. We could call it the kingdom of God, and it's what Jesus says we are supposed to seek first what we are to make our ambition. Well, this brings me to our final point, okay? If the kingdom of God is everything wrong made right, it's the way things are supposed to be, what does praying for that require of me? Well, it requires three things. It requires a biblically informed imagination It requires civic and global engagement. And it requires hospitality, which is to say a spirit of invitation and reconciliation. Now, I'm going to spend the next two weeks flushing out those last two things. Next week, we'll talk about the kingdom of God and our global and civic engagement. And the week after that, we'll talk about the kingdom of God and our hospitality of inviting people in and being reconciled. Tonight, just for the rest of our time, I really want to talk about the kingdom of God, looking out and praying out, your kingdom come, your will be done, and our need right for a biblically informed imagination. I want you all to use your imaginations uh, for a second. I want you to imagine everything wrong with this world set right. I want you to imagine everything in this world that's broken, fixed, and I want you to imagine everything hurt, healed. What does that world look like? What does it sound like? What does it feel like? Think about it for a moment. as we use our imaginations and we begin to contemplate what that would be like for everything wrong to be made right, every hurt healed, right, everything broken fixed, for starters, it would be a world where people are not in conflict with God anymore. Instead of running away from God, people would be running towards Him. They would know His good and Father His loving care it would be a world where we're not just at peace with God but we're at peace with each other there would be no more war there would be no more terrorism there would be no more racism or ageism or sexism no more refugees drowning in the Mediterranean, no more human trafficking or sex slavery, be no more pornography, no more poverty, no more broken homes, be no more abortion, no more loneliness, no more anxiety and depression, there be no more drug and alcohol abuse, No more sex abuse. Maybe no more poaching or wanton pollution. We would see all of life, not just human life, but plant and animal life as well as being treated with dignity and respect because God made it. I mean, our list can go on and on and on. But can you imagine such a place? A world full of goodness and beauty and truth, right? Everything the way it's supposed to be. This, Jesus says, is what should be your ambition. This vision of your world, my world set to rights, this is what you are supposed to seek first. It's what should be at the top of your priorities, When we look up and then we look out, this is what we are praying for. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Make everything wrong right again. Not too long ago, just maybe a minute ago, I asked you what this would look like, sound like, and feel like. And here's why it's important for you to actually sit with that question and to think some more about it. Because if you cannot imagine this, you will not image it. If you cannot imagine the world set to rights, you are not going to image it. Another way of putting it, if you can't see it with the mind's eye, you're not seeking it. You're not looking for it. You don't know what to look for. If you cannot imagine it, you will not be imaging it. And listen, Jesus wants you to. He wants you to see this with the mind's eye, and he wants you to seek it. He wants you to pursue it and to make it more concrete and more real, more visible. But this starts with our imagination. We need to imagine it before we can image it. Uh, In my home... The mining house, when, when I go home for the holidays, inevitably someone in the family will dump a large 500 to 1,000 piece puzzle on my dining room table. We've smartened up. It's now like a card table, so we can actually eat <laughs> right our dinner. But when we dump this puzzle out on the table, the pieces are all scattered about. It's a gigantic mess. We know that all these pieces on the table, that they add up to something, but... At that moment, we, we're not sure what it is just yet. We're staring at the mess of puzzle pieces on the table, and it's not exactly clear what this is supposed to be. So what do we do as a family? Probably what you do in yours. Right, we turn over all the pieces to make sure we've got the right side up. You know, we separate the corners from the middle. That's wise. But then we do probably the most important thing of all. We go and find that box that it came in, we look at the picture that's on the front, right? The image on the box cover helps us make sense of what's in front of us. And you could say it gives us direction, not by telling us what to do, but by showing us what this is supposed to be. When we look out at the world around us. It appears to be in the same shape as the puzzle on my dining room table. Fragmented, disconnected, a mess. How are we going to put it back together again? How are we going to make it right, to make it whole, complete? We need an image, don't we? We need to know what it's supposed to look like so we can start making the right connections. And in order to do that, in order to make the right connections, in order for this to look more and more like that, in order for the kingdom of God to take shape before our very eyes so it's not just there, but it's here as well, we need a biblically informed imagination. We need the image, essentially, that's on the cover of the box. And how are we going to get that? Where are you going to get that? Well, that's an easy question to answer. You're going to get a biblically informed imagination from the Bible, right? By reading it, by hearing it preached, by becoming acquainted with it, by meditating on it and mulling it over and letting it get down deep. You will get a biblically informed imagination when you essentially enroll in the school of Jesus and you become his disciple, his student, and you let him teach you. This is who you are. This is who I am. This is what you are meant for. This is the way the world's supposed to be. This is how you fit in it and how you can best play your part. That's how. Where are you going to get that? You're going to get that here. You can at least get that here at the University of Vermont. Right? RUF exists to help you connect with God and to connect with others and to connect the dots. You could say connect the puzzle pieces. Right? You want a biblically informed imagination? Join one of those Bible studies. Do what you're doing right now. Continue to come to Wednesday Night Fellowship. Invite a friend. Find a good local church. I'm happy to plug you in. I'm happy to invite you to one, take you to one. I'd love to see you get connected. Take one of these Bible homes. One of these Bible homes with you. And if you do, if you don't have it, take a Jesus Storybook Bible. This Bible will take you a long time to read. You've got homework to do. That one you could read in a weekend if you're diligent. It's easy and it's colorful. It's got really great pictures, right? Yeah. Uh, It's not just a kid's Bible. Like, yes, I read it to Willow, but I also read it to myself. It's great. Um, Read it. Take notes about it. If I can, Mary's done an awesome job of that. We've had some really great conversations, uh, talking it over. So do what she's done. Take notes. Stick them in your Bible. Let's get coffee. Let's get lunch. I'd be happy, right, to learn about this with you, right, to go through this together. Uh, I don't want you to go through the space in this time and space called college. And not have the opportunity to do what we're talking about. Jesus wants you okay, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He wants you to make this your top priority. Right? Our broken world fixed. Our broken world healed. Everything wrong with our world set to rights. Which is why after looking up, we look out and we pray. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven as part of the way that He answers that prayer for us, would He, I'm here I am praying now with eyes open, would He give you and me a biblically informed imagination? Right? Would we be able to see more and more what our world is supposed to be like so we can see more and more the ways that we can be putting it back together again? Would we imagine a better world, right, so that we can be part of it so that we can be, can we imagine it so we can help image him? And would all of this be to his glory and to our satisfaction and joy?